Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the PKN Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and with me as ever is Lindy Hewson, and she's the managing editor of PKN Magazine. She's also the publisher of the magazine and the host of this podcast. Lindy, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Grant. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, and quite interested to hear what this uh, episode's topic is all about. It, You tell me it's pretty good. Well, it's going to be because it touches our everyday lives, really, Grant. So I'm sure you've noticed that when you go and do your shopping in the supermarket, how spoiled for choice you are these days. There are just so many products. I mean, go down the yogurt aisle, you've got not five, not ten, probably closer to 30 options, depending on the size of the supermarket, and all of them competing for our attention. Now, sometimes you pick a brand that you've known and trusted for the longest time, and sometimes your attention is caught by a new product that pops out at you because its pack design is shouting at you from the shelf. So today we're going to talk about how savvy brand owners can leverage the power of their brand and packaging design to gain advantage in the increasingly competitive supermarket environment. And with that, I'd like to introduce our studio guest today, an expert on the subject, the Managing Director of Brand Opus, Nikki Mushinger. Welcome, Nikki, and how are you today? Hello, Lindy. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thanks, and so happy to have you. And before we dive into the muddy waters of brand and pack design, perhaps you don't want to call them muddy waters, but it is um, a complex topic, I'd like you to tell us just a bit about Brand Opus and your own background with the company. Sure. So Brand Opus, um, we are headquartered in, in the UK. We have offices in um, the US and Australia. We describe ourselves as a brand-led creative agency um, and we have a philosophy on how brands really work in the world based on the principles of cognitive neuroscience and behavioural economics. So we have a heritage in FMCG, um, but as I will take you through today, once you understand the basic principles of brand, whether it is a yoghurt on shelf or whether it is a car or a bank, the same principles apply. So... As an agency, um, our purpose is to change the way people feel about brands and there is a really lovely sort of layered duality to this purpose. Um, The first layer um, is to build brands that elicit an emotional response because we know that it is feelings and our irrational mind that drives preference and behaviour as opposed to rational um, facts and, and messages. The second and sort of deeper layer to our purpose is about why brands matter to people, to business, to all of us, why the world needs brands, how they are a critical business tool, and how they imbue material objects with symbolic meaning. So if you think of a Tiffany ring or a Mercedes, you'll see that the brand brings so much um, emotion and feeling into it. So we really dig down deep to to understand the feelings um, and make brands mean more. Well, I mean, that's... I'm just so so thrilled that we're going to be exploring this topic. I did ask um, you to say, and I can see perhaps you've skirted over this, just tell us a little bit about your own in- involvement at the company because, and how long you've been there. Give us some background to yourself. Sure. I started with Brand Opus pretty much bang on three years ago today. 
I have spent those three years um, doing my apprenticeship in the way Brandovers thinks, which is really unique. Um, I, I have a, a background in FMCG um, um, agency side, uh, working with a, a local agency whose key um, client was Aldi Supermarkets. So I've gone from one end to the very far other end of the branding spectrum uh, throughout the last decade or so of my career. Well, so the reason I was setting all that up was really just to justify that you really are an expert in this whole topic. And now we can kick off and get started and explore how brand which is often the most valuable asset on a company's balance sheet, is regularly underutilized, misunderstood and dismissed simply as the logo. Tell us more. Yes, yeah, so um, in the context of FMCG, a strong brand brought to life on the all-important packaging touchpoint can deter competition, protect market share and help to command a price premium. Uh, it allows organisations, marketers, to produce fewer products uh, and sell them with a higher margin. So we generate more profit from fewer sales. Uh, this is what the marketing department wants. The sales department will generally want to sell more products, um, potentially at a lower margin. So brand really comes into it to allow us to command that price premium. Okay, so that on the surface of it is a great explanation, but brand really is an elusive concept, isn't it, Nikki? It is. Um, you know, the, the benefits that I just spoke about are very generic benefits that, that pretty much any branding agency would be able to talk you through and, and explain. What we really want to try and do is understand how and why brands work. Um, a, a brand is an idea it's a group of associations in the minds of this consumer. Associations are sometimes referred to as remembered qualities. So it is a way for us to contextualise um, anything, really. Um, so, for example, sometimes when we start talking about associations, it can sound a little bit elusive, as, as you put it, Lindy. But if we think about a product like a yogurt, um, once again, we've, we've done work in the yogurt category with a brand whose associations were holistic, kind and progressive. So these are the kind of associations that we want to define and articulate in the, the strategic part of building a brand. And once we've articulated those associations and we have what we call a brand idea, which is the, the organising idea behind the brand, so a, a body of strategic work will be done to bring us down to a very single-minded brand idea and set of associations. And from that platform, we then go on to build the brand and go through the creative process to build the bridge between the strategic intent of the brand and the way it's being perceived by our consumers. Okay, so what I'm hearing there is that you do have um, some kind of framework, probably as Brand Opus has for helping brand owners to understand how to build or create a brand and also perhaps to just renovate a brand. Am I correct in assuming you have such a framework? And if so, can you take us through that? Absolutely. Yes, we do have a, a four-step framework. Every project is slightly different, but the four-step framework remains fairly um, fundamental to the way we approach a brand. 
those four steps are to understand, to define, to symbolize, and then activate. So the first two phases, understand and define. Um, we are a creative agency, but we do not put pen to paper in the first two stages. The first two stages are where we understand, we look backwards into the history of the brand so that we understand where it's come from. We dive deep into the business and the business's ambitions. So we are looking forwards. Um, we do um, diagnostics on the, the current visual identity. We do a category audit. We draw on cultural insights. We look at macro trends and micro trends. Uh, we look at the market dynamic. So we do a lot of homework before we even begin to try to work out what this brand moving forward should stand for, what that brand idea should be and what those associations should be. In this part of the process, we can also do some market research around implicit associations. So that's using implicit um, research methodologies to understand what's happening in people's heads when they see your brand, when they interact with your brand, what is what is being triggered, um, what are they associating with. And it's really important, really useful to understand what those associations are before we start the creative process. So we then have a yardstick to measure whether our creative execution has been successful in shifting and reframing the way the brand is perceived. So in this understand phase, we do a lot of homework. We can do, um, where possible, we do our implicit association testing. We can also do for an existing brand um, some research around what the distinctive assets are. So what are the visual assets? Um, we can also do sound as a distinctive asset of a, of a brand or um, most of the assets are visual. So we can understand when we go into the creative process what we can, what we have to play with, what we need to stick with. If your your brand colours are very strongly associated with red and white, we wouldn't then throw out red and white and make your brand green moving forward. Um, and if we can understand the strength of those various distinctive assets, then it helps to guide the creative process so that we don't lose those consumers who are loyal to us through the, the rebranding process, um, but we do manage to reframe the brand in such a way that it presents as something new and different to people who perhaps stopped seeing us for whatever reason, are not interacting with the brand, um, and there's many reasons why that would happen. So that's is that the understand phase wrapped up? And how, roughly how long does that take? Oh, it depends on how, how big the brand is. It depends on how um, risk adverse the client is. We can do um, an understand phase in a matter of weeks. We can do it in a matter of months. So um, it really, every project is different and every client is different. Okay. So how does define work then? So once we've, once we've got a really solid understanding of the brand and the business, um, we then move into building what we call a brand ladder. Now, most branding agencies will have this concept of a brand ladder or a brand pyramid. It's where we really um, we look at things like personality, reasons to believe, the values of the brand, functional and emotional benefits. Um, quite often there'll be an overarching brand purpose, but it's really in that defined stage um, that as an agency we focus on, on that brand idea 
and those three associations that we want to be brought to life when we move on to the next phase, which is which is symbolize. Okay, so can you move to symbolize and explain that? And if possible, give an ex- almost an example of a, a hypothetical product, if necessary, to explain how this works. Sure. Um, so when we move into the symbolized phase, our um, our strategy team, it's not a, a hard and fast handover between strategy and creative because creative will be involved in understand and define and strategy will be involved in symbolize and activate. But it is where the, fo- the focus will shift from being a strategic to being a creative exercise. So the creative team will take that brand idea and those associations and they will bring that to life using symbolism and metaphor to shortcut to that meaning that we want to elicit in the minds of our consumers. We know through the work that we've done with some of the world's leading behavioural economists that a key influence on our behaviour is the meaning we assign to things. So if, for example, we have um, a product that is being developed in the parenting technology space and we've come to the decision um, and agreement with the client that the brand idea is about liberation and those associations that we would like to elicit or tap into are around being aspirational innovative and uncompromising. So the creative team will take those associations and when they put pen to paper, they will be creating um, visuals designed to tap into those associations where we can use things like metaphor. Um, It's quite exciting for us as an agency. Um, We worked recently on a beverage product for Molson Coors in the US. It's a, a very natural product um, and we tapped into this mythology mythological green man and he is now the symbol of this this new beverage product and people see the green man and they automatically in their minds understand what that brand is is all about and and how it's trying to position itself in the market okay so move on to activate am i correct that that's now the next step it is, yes. So activate. This is the part that most clients understand really easily. This is about getting the brand and, and putting it across all of the different touch points. So quite often we'll have a client come to us and say, we need our packaging. And we'll say, yes, you do need packaging, but we need to go back to the start and look at your brand and look at what your brand is communicating because otherwise it can be Um, a little bit like putting lipstick on a pig. If you're trying to make attractive packaging, but there's a tension between what your visual identity is communicating and how you want to position yourself, then all you're doing is putting a Band-Aid over something that is fundamentally broken. So really working with, with brand, it is always best to go back to the start Get your brand platform really solid. Understand in five words or less what you're trying to achieve and then use creative repetition to bring that to life through your visual identity and all of the different brand touch points, whether that's your packaging or your website or your social media, your advertising, whatever it is. It's like what we call brand world. Every touch point that a consumer has with your brand 
in the world should be considered and it should be your, your visual identity should be brought to life in a really distinctive and meaningful and memorable way. I think um, what's quite important that, and something that I'm picking up that you said there is that there shouldn't be a disconnect between brand and packaging. So we sometimes put those into silos and you have a brand agency, branding agency, and, and not really thinking in terms of when you're doing your packaging design that the branding and the brand is so integral, not just on a visual logo level, as you mentioned earlier, but also the whole emotional response that that product on the shelf is going to give the consumer. It stems from the brand right through to the packaged delivery of it, whether that is the actual package or the package communication and or the whole lot wrapped together. So that's just coming through very strongly for me. I'm sure you agree that that is something that perhaps some marketers aren't getting. Absolutely, Lindy. Brand and pack have a symbiotic relationship. The consumer doesn't pull them apart and look at the visual identity and then look at the packaging. It is experienced as a whole. So that's where sometimes inadvertently a brand can be holding, well, it can be actively working against a company by communicating something that is not aligned with the positioning that we're trying to achieve. So, Nikki, I'm finding this fascinating, but I'm thinking that I keep wanting to ask, can you give us an example? You don't have to name a brand, of course, but can you give us an example of of how this disconnect can play out on the supermarket shelf? I can, Lindy, and I will refer back to one of our oldest case studies, which is McCain Foods. Um, McCain Foods' retail brand mark used to be a black box with a uh, yellow beveled bling mark. Um, Semiotically, it communicated frozen, packaged, fast food. We started working with McCain uh, in the UK many years ago and we moved them from this black box frozen food brand mark to what we call Sunshine World with a sunshine and a field and birds, which put in the context of the freezer, completely reframed people's perceptions. So if McCain had have stayed with their black box identity and tried to move into, uh, say, chilled or better for you options, it would have been giving this double-sided message on one side, the visual visual identity, the brand mark itself is saying one thing, and then the product and the packaging are trying to tell you another. So it would have created a tension. So by moving to the Sunshine World identity, it's opened McCain up to a, a whole new category of better for you products rather than being seen as, as a fast food product. So I'm very interested to know in this brand renovation process, how resistant you found McCain um, or the team to making that change? Yes, absolutely. So this was a project that was done by uh, Brand Opus before my time. It was a project that was done very carefully over a number of years with a number of iterations. It wasn't a straight one out, one in. It was a, a process of nudging people in the right direction. So again, huge brand, a lot of money on the line. 
we don't just go in and throw it out and start again and hope for the best. Uh, it, it was an iterative process and um, the, the McCain client, obviously very brave to recognise that they needed to do something quite drastic to reframe perceptions. And I think sometimes the um, consumer too only wants a gradual change because when you take away something that they recognise and love, potentially, um, they may not immediately trust that brand is the same or that the product is the quality that they expect because suddenly there's been there's a whole big splash of of color on a pack that they they weren't expecting to see there so am i correct in assuming that that is what we need to do sometimes with consumers hold their hand gradually while we effect this change in the look and feel of the brand and the packaging Absolutely, Lydia, and that is where the distinctive asset testing comes in really, um, really handy. We can understand how consumers shop, how they recognise your brand. We can even understand how they recognise your competitors' brands. So in the creative process, we can make sure that we're not um, going closer to your competitor. Um, you want to move away, be distinctive. Um, so we want to attract those new shoppers without losing our loyalists along the way. So sometimes to, to get from A to B, we have to go around the long way. Uh, it can be an iterative process. We can design the end game and then we can design a, a step between the end game and where we are now and take consumers through that process slowly because the last thing that we want to do as an agency is to come in and change everything for the sake of changing everything and then um, you know our clients sales drop um, that's not good for us that's not good for our clients it's certainly what no one wants in this process kind of a case of if it ain't broke don't fix it um, unless it's really gonna it's really necessary because of what's happening to sales perhaps as well now I did want to um, ask another question around competitive categories and in your experience in FMCG is there any category in particular where you feel the brands in that category could actually benefit from a bit of a shake-up because oh, it's stayed and tired Sorry. Yes, well, please, please share. <laughs> it's okay to come in with enthusiasm on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think milk is ripe for the disruption. Uh, there's nothing interesting happening in milk. There's lots of pictures of cows. There's lots of um, generic codes of dairy and goodness and farmers. Milk can be so much more exciting than that. There's a lot of things happening. New Zealand's a fantastic market to watch because they're always quite progressive um, and they're always quite creative in, in the brands that they bring to life. Um, there's a lot of exciting things that could happen in the milk category uh, and I think need to happen in the milk category to help to combat some of the negative perceptions that are just slowly creeping into to the edges well, there's also a bit of competition coming from plant-based milks now um, to the original milk category. I don't know if we, we – we, they seem to have accepted that plant-based milks are being called milks. And somehow I find that their packaging is a little bit more exciting, maybe because they're a little bit more edgy. I don't know. Some of the, the packs that are coming through there, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Um, most of these brands are born of – today's age so they can tap into um, sort of the, the newer, more exciting um, space. Um, they're quite clear on who their target market is and it is not 
necessarily, um, you know, mum and dad and three kids. It's a younger target. Um, I think the problem with the milk category is that it's got lots of hangovers from the past. So, um, you know, it would be a brave marketer to come in and shake that up a little. Yeah, well, I suppose there's this element of trust that if you see the picture of the cow, this is actually cow's milk. <laughs> and if you don't see a picture of a cow, well, what is it? <laughs> yes, but I think the problem with um, with that is that all of the milk you see comes from cows. So putting a picture of a cow on your label doesn't do the job of branding. And the job of branding is to distinguish one product from another. So if everyone who's putting pictures of cows on their milk, all it is doing is, is reinforcing those generic category codes rather than acting as a branding device that will differentiate and distinguish one product from another. So from milk, which is a beverage, to the general beverage category, beverage is a very exciting space to me because um, I'm finding that companies and brand owners are, especially in the maybe in the alcoholic category, are embracing the whole um, how the label looks, how much power it has, perhaps even attaching an augmented reality component to it, really bringing that experience aspect through about the brand. Uh, are you, have you had experience of that too? Look, no, I haven't had experience as far as augmented reality and packaging is concerned. I think that needs to be handled quite carefully. I know there was a wine brand who did an augmented reality um, on their, their wine label. It can send slightly different messages to, to what the brand is trying to say. Um, wine is, is not, a, not a fun kid's toy product bringing augmented reality into the wine brand could potentially be seen to cheapen it somewhat. Wine has to be very careful in the way it markets itself because not many people actually know about the wine itself. So the job of the brand and the pack design is is more profound than in many other categories. Um, It is a very emotional purchase. So it it is interesting to see what is starting to happen in that space, but I think certain categories need to to be careful how they approach this bringing together of, of technology and packaging. Well, it is coming to the fore. We are seeing it more. I think as the tech gets better as well, um, we will find brands using it as a brand story telling device, um, just perhaps sometimes it, it might just be novelty, but sometimes it's handy when you're trying to market yourself in a new region, perhaps in an export market, and you want to really tell that provenance story quite well. So I think it has the upside there. But I do take your point that it, there are certain categories that where you need to tread carefully when it comes to how you portray that product, especially if it can come across as, as a fun thing when it really should be more of an adult object or or, or product rather. Yes, Lindy. So that comes back again to making sure that anything you do relates back to that brand idea and the associations that you're trying to elicit. So if if your associations around being organic and earthy and natural, then 
putting a QR code on your label is working against your brand rather than for your brand. But if you are moving more into the tech space and, and you know, if, if one of your um, associations is around being technological or innovative, then that would really help to build the brand story. So, again, all of these questions come back to what is our brand idea and what are the key associations that we're trying to elicit. I think we do also, though, need to make the point, though, that uh, QR codes, much like a barcode and QR codes and 2D um, barcodes now are really going to be part of of any brand label, not necessarily to explain that or, or to give the impression of being in the tech space, but more from a practical point of view because of the requirements of traceability down the supply chain. So they may not even be part of the overall brand design. They may just be the administrative element that needs to be there as well. Um, I did wanted to bring something um, up though as well as a last point. What about sustainability and getting that messaging, your your green credentials, um, to marry with a brand when sometimes it may not necessarily work with a with say a, a design that's in place that really pops on shelf, but the import but there is an important part of it. This packaging might be um, recycled PET, for example. Um, the product might be you know really wholesome and green. I don't know. I, I'm kind of rattling on here but what I'm trying to say is what about sustainability as a core brand message? Sustainability is without a doubt hugely important and and will be more so moving forward. I think what needs to be done is for that layer of the story to be told in the right way and that is going to change from brand to brand and a lot of the sustainability conversations that are being had though are becoming more hygiene factors. People expect the bottle that they buy to be recyclable. It's not something that will give a brand competitive advantage. It is something that they just need to do. So, um, as I said, every brand will be different and every story will be different and sometimes it will work that a brand will do something that's quite cutting edge um, and it will um, be something that a whole comms campaign can be formed around. Um, But brands need to step up they need to make sure everything is sustainable and um and and be good corporate citizens but they shouldn't necessarily expect that to deliver competitive advantage oh that's that is a, a very good point it should be a given and that's that is something to think about going forward now um i do have another question <laughs> i wanted to ask you what projects or brand design and packaging design execution are you most proud of in in your recent portfolio? Uh, Recently, we launched, um, and thank you, PKN did cover this, um, a range of ready meals under the brand Abundance. Um, That was a fantastic project in that we went through our, our, it was a new brand creation, but we went through our full four-step process of of understanding what the business was trying to achieve, of defining that brand idea and those key associations, of them bringing that to life in the visual identity and the packaging design, um, and then then activating it into the world. So um, that's a very recent project that um, Brand Opus Australia was very proud to be a part of. So um, tell us what Abundance is and tell us what some of the key graphic elements were that you brought to the fore. 
So abundance is a range of, um, of ready meals that deliver on the um, premise of feel good food. So it's a larger portion size. Um, the ingredients are all natural and um, and you know kind of tapping into what you would find at um, the likes of Earl Canteen, for example. So the brand idea for Abundance was around um, a feast for the soul. So when our creative team took the brand idea um, and the key associations of um, charismatic, vibrant and abundant, um, they were able to then bring that to life visually to instantly and unconsciously communicate that this was a healthy, better for you, feeling good for the soul proposition. We've had some very nice feedback on it as well from um, from a number of people who have sort of the biggest compliment we can have is when people contact us and say, it looked so good, I bought it just because it looked so good. I didn't even really read what the, the back of the pack, I, I just picked it up, put it in my trolley and was on my way. Well, that would have been music to your ears, I'm sure. So um, it is time to wrap up. Unfortunately, we could go on talking about all of this. Thank you for bringing us an abundance of information today around brand and pack design, for taking us through those four steps, the understand, define, symbolize and activate. I think our listeners would have um, really learned a lot today. So Nikki, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us once again on another fascinating episode. Uh, been really brilliant to hear this discussion about uh, brand and how it applies across the whole of packaging and the supermarket environment. Uh, lots of issues I hadn't considered before. So thank you both, ladies. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another great episode of the PKN Podcast. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast. Produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News. Owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.